If you brought your Bible with you, go with me again to the book of Matthew, chapter 12. And don't be afraid to talk back to the preacher today. It's all right. It doesn't have to be too quiet. Get comfy, get loose, get excited. You know, response is important. Response is important. Amen. What if you were talking to your kids and you lectured and you instructed and you gave direction and you gave correction and you stood there and you just gave it to them and they just stood and stared at you? They didn't act, they didn't move, they didn't respond. It's like, hello, hello, anybody home? You, you want a response from them. And the Lord wants a response from us. He wants us to respond to His Word. You know, Jesus asked a group of religious people a question one day when a man came to be healed. And it was the Sabbath day. Jesus asked these religious people, He said, is it good to do this on the Sabbath? Is it good to save or is it good to do evil? What is it? Is it good? And the Bible says they didn't answer Him. They didn't respond. It says Jesus looked at them in anger because of the hardness of their heart. Their lack of response actually angered Jesus. I don't want to be found in that group, do you? I do not, man. I want to be a part of the group that hears it, receives it, responds to it, and puts it into practice. Amen? Amen. All right, church, here we go. Matthew chapter 12. We've been in a series for the last several weeks called A House Undivided. And I want to look again at what Jesus said here in Matthew chapter 12 in verse 25. It says, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. We've been talking about uh, what it takes to have and to live in a house undivided. There is no place for strife. There is no place for division in this house. And that's what we're building here. We looked at all these pictures. I give you the progress report of what's happening in the building. But this is more than just a physical building. This is not just a, some business we're building here. This is a house. This is God's house. We are His family. And this is our home. When we come in here together, we're family. And if we want this house to last, if we want this to be more than just something that comes and then goes as soon as it got here, then there is no room, there is no place for strife or division in this house. We are a house undivided. Now, the good news in this, I know it sounds like bad news. If a house is divided, it cannot stand. The good news is, is if a house is undivided, it cannot fall. And you've heard us say it over and over. Whatever's going on in this house, that's what needs to be going on in your house. That's what needs to be going on in our houses. And if this place is full of faith and if this place is full of love, your house, your house should be a place that's full of faith and full of love. And if this place is undivided, if there's no strife allowed in this place, then that should be the rule in your house. A no strife environment, a strife free, a strife less environment. That's what every one of us should be aiming for and the standard we should be having in our homes. And we ought to shut that division down just as quickly as it shows up. 
Because we know if it's allowed to stay, if division is allowed to continue, it's only a matter of time before the house falls. And I don't want your house falling. I definitely don't want my house falling. And I don't want this house falling. Amen. And that's why it's so important that we're talking about this right now in these days as we lay a foundation for who we are and what this place is about. An atmosphere full of faith, full of love. And love cannot exist in the same place that strife is. You can't mix these two things. Love can't exist in the same place where division is running rampant. You can't have it. It's one or the other. Those two don't mix any more than darkness and light mix. So this place is either a place of love or it's got division in it. And I'm telling you right now, there is not a church split in the future of this place. It will never happen. Never. How can you be so sure? Because this place will be full of the love of God. It'll be so full of the love of God and it will be full of people just looking for ways to serve each other. Looking for ways to help each other. Looking for ways to put other people first. And if you've got that going on, that's what the, the atmosphere is, then you're not in danger of a bunch of groups and cliques and divisions showing up in the church. You can't have both going on in the same place. And if we'll have what the Word says, then we'll have a house that will not fall. I want to keep going in this today. And uh, you're here in Matthew chapter 12. Just look over one chapter into chapter 13. And what we need to get into today is so big and so important. I'll be honest with you. I, I've been before the Lord for the last two days saying, I, I know I don't see this all. I know I don't understand how significant and how important this is. So I'm asking you today to be in agreement with me that as we get into the word, that we see this the way the Lord sees it. Amen. We prayed it a moment ago. Say it again out loud. Lord, give me eyes that see. Give me ears that hear. We want to see what he's saying to us today. In Matthew chapter 13, I love this chapter. It's Jesus and it's the parable. We call it the parable of the sower. Uh, but Jesus, when his disciples came to him later and said, you know, explain this to us. He said, if you don't understand this parable, how then will you understand any of them? So evidently there are some things he said in this that are keys that unlock everything else he ever said. That's powerful. That's important. And this parable, Jesus began it by saying, behold, a sower went out to sow. That's what sowers do. And he said, some seed fell on the wayside and the birds came and devoured it. He said, some seed fell on stony ground and uh, it, it sprouted up and the, the sun scorched it and it withered away. Some seed fell among thorns and the thorns sprang up and it choked it and it wasn't fruitful. And then he said, some seed fell on good ground and on that ground, it produced fruit. It, it bore fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. And then that's when his disciples came and said, can you explain this to us? I mean, these people came to hear you preach. <laughs> this is all great advice, but what's it mean? And he said, this was the explanation of it. The sower sows, who remembers? The word, the word. This is why this parable is so important for us to understand because he was talking about the word. And just think about for a moment what's taking place. Here is Jesus who is the word the Word made flesh. 
So the word is preaching the word, and the subject of his message is the word. So the word is preaching the word on the word. I mean, if ever faith was going to be present, it was going to be this day, because that's how faith comes, when you hear the word from the word. And that's what these people were hearing. The word made flesh, preaching the word about what? The word. And he said, the sower sows the word. Now, if you think about it, he talks about four different kinds of ground that the word got sown on. But what's alarming to me and what should catch your attention in mind is that three out of the four times the word didn't produce. It didn't work. And if you were to have stopped after that third kind of ground, you might be tempted to think there's something wrong with this seed because it was all the same seed. He's just scattering this seed. It's like, man, it's not working. I scattered it over here and planted it over here and put some over here and it hadn't produced a thing. And you might be tempted to think something's wrong with this seed. But if you know anything about the word of God, nothing wrong with the seed. Man, this seed, the scripture tells us, is an incorruptible seed. It's the ever-living, undying word of God. And just like a natural seed has within it the ability to produce a massive tree and a tree that bears massive amounts of fruit, all of that exists in the seed. The same thing's true about the word of God. Your salvation is in that seed. Your healing is in that seed. Your prosperity, your deliverance, your, your, your uh, restoration, your recovery, everything that you need to live whole and well and strong in this life is in the seed. Somebody say, it's in the seed. It's in the seed. All of that is in this seed. And if you know anything about the word, there's nothing wrong with this seed. But it should at least leave you wondering or asking the question, okay, well, if there's nothing wrong with the seed, why didn't it work? Because you've got to be honest, out of Jesus' own mouth, three out of four times, that's 75% of the time, the seed didn't do what it was capable of doing. Now, there is a religious, a traditional religious answer to that that does not satisfy me. And when people say, why isn't it working? Why isn't it working? That's the voice of frustration. They're being told it would work, but it's not. They're being told I could be well, but I'm not. I'm being told I can be prosperous, but I'm not. Why isn't it working? The traditional religious answer is sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. The traditional religious mindset, when I say religious, I mean no revelation will tell you we don't know why God does for some and not for others. But in his sovereignty, man, that's a convenient excuse, isn't it? I'll just blame it all on the sovereignty of God. It doesn't, doesn't leave you responsible for anything. It doesn't make you uh, press into God or press into his word. It doesn't make you dive deeper into relationship with him. He's sovereign, so who knows and who cares? It's a pitiful excuse. And it does not satisfy me, and it should not satisfy you. If you are hungry at all for truth, then that answer shouldn't satisfy you. And if you want to know why it's not working, who better to ask than Jesus? Because here he is giving you a pretty crystal clear picture of why it's not working. 
It had to do with the ground. It had to do with the ground it was sown on. Because the moment that seed produced something, then you know nothing wrong with this seed. It's capable of producing. What was wrong was the environment it got sown in. Are you with me? So it's worth your time to take a look at this. And we could spend days and weeks talking about just this one parable. But let me draw your attention just to a couple of things here. He said in Matthew 13, 18, he said, therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word, that's what you're doing today. That's what you've done before. When you hear the word of the kingdom and doesn't understand it, if anyone hears the word and doesn't understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away that that was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. Now, wayside ground is just basically the equivalent of concrete. I mean, they didn't have cement, they didn't have concrete, but what they had was this hard, packed earth where people would walk and animals would walk and they would walk these trails over and over. It was the wayside. It was the, 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 the way you went, the way that you walked. And because they walked it so much, it was packed. It wasn't soft earth. And because it wasn't soft, it couldn't receive the seed. So it just laid out there on top of the ground. And that's why Jesus said the birds came and devoured it. So he said somebody who hears the word, but there's no reception of it, they don't understand it. That doesn't just mean they don't mentally get it. That means they don't get the value of it. They don't honor it as a word from God. It just sounds like talking. He said, that's like hard packed earth that the seed just sits on top of. And he said, Satan comes immediately. How fast? Immediately, like right now, right away. And he steals the word that was sown. Why? If they don't value it, if they don't honor it, what happens to valuable things that aren't protected? They get stolen. You leave something valuable, you leave something precious just sitting out in the front yard for days and weeks on end. You don't protect it. Don't be amazed or confused if you drive home one day and it's gone. Right? Sweetheart, have you seen my box of gold? What did I do with that? I can't find it. I think you left it in the yard. It's gone, man. Why? It was something valuable that you didn't leave or that you didn't protect. You left it unprotected. That's what happens when you hear the word and don't understand it. Now, you can hear the word and your brain doesn't grasp all of it, but your heart, your spirit comes alive and says, oh, man, that's it. That's my answer. That's what I needed. And this, this excitement comes up on the inside and your brain's going, what? I, to, huh? What? And your spirit's like, shut up. You will get it later. But this is what we need. What is that's honor. That's value for the word. That's receiving it. But he said, if you don't understand it, if you don't understand where it came from, if you don't understand how valuable it is, if you have no comprehension of it, it'll be stolen from you. And this is what Satan's after. He wants to steal the word. And this goes on to this next kind of ground. And this is where I want us to spend our time today. He said, he who received the seed on stony places is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Woo! Right away. Man, that's a good word. Somebody sitting in church getting excited about the word. Oh, that's what I need. Oh, praise. Oh, mm, that's good. 
Man, we have been in, I don't know how many hundreds, thousands of church services, and I have heard every response that you can think of. Amen. Preach it. Say it. Come on. Sarah and I were in a church service one time. We weren't preaching. We were just sitting up here, and the lady behind us, she liked what was being said, so she kept shouting out, that's delicious. That's delicious. Mmm, that's delicious. She's just tasting and seeing the Lord is good. She's getting excited about the word that she's hearing. Now, Jesus talks about this, and he said, this is somebody who hears the word, but it's like stony ground. Now, that's not to paint a picture of ground with a bunch of rocks just sitting out on top. What he's talking about is a shallow layer of earth with stone underneath, a bedrock of stone. And he said, the one who hears the word and receives it with joy. But verse 21 says, yet they have no root in themselves, but endure only for a while for when tribulation or persecution arise because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Other translations say immediately he's offended. Offended. Now what's Jesus talking to us about here? He's talking to us about why the word's not working. Why it's not producing in your life what it's capable of, what he wants it to what it's supposed to be producing. Here, he's given you the understanding of, here's why it's not working. Don't be confused and don't blame it on God. Oh, come on, are you hearing me? Don't be confused and don't blame it on God. Don't just chalk it up to his sovereignty. That's lazy. It's lazy and it's an excuse. Jesus is making clear to us here, here's why it's not working. One of the reasons it's not working is you heard it, but you didn't value it. You didn't honor it. He showed up in his own hometown one day with all the same ability to heal and all the same willingness to heal, the desire to heal, the embodiment of the will of God to save and to heal and deliver. But he showed up in his own hometown and he said, a prophet is not without honor, not without value anywhere except in his own home country. And the Bible says there he could do no mighty work. None. Why? No honor. Why couldn't the word work in that city? No honor for it. No value for it. So that's one of the first places you need to check up on when it looks like it's not working in your life. I hear that preacher talking all about God's goodness and he saves and he heals and he delivers and he sets free and he prospers and I am trapped and I am bound and I am sick and I am broke and something's not working. Well, the first place you need to look is where's your honor for the word? Where's your value for the word? In other words, do you choose his word over anybody else's? Do you elevate? Do you honor? Do you reverence His Word above anybody else's? Because where there's no honor for it, it can't produce. But this is where I believe the Lord's instructing us to spend the time that we have left today. The Word cannot work. You listen to me? The Word cannot work. I, I hope you hear the seriousness of that statement. Because we're talking about the the almighty word of God here. But it cannot work in an offended heart. 
where there's offense, the word is stripped of its power. Now, keep in mind who he's talking about here. Somebody, and just like all these people, individuals that heard the word, they all heard it. Everybody in here today, you're hearing it. And these people, unlike the ones who didn't value it, unlike the ones who didn't honor it, man, they heard it and they responded to it. Like we're talking about a moment ago. How did they respond? Two ways. Number one, he said, immediately. That's good, right? That's, that's like right now, right away. And number two, they responded how? Joy. Come on, let me hear a little bit of joy in here today. Woo, yeah, excited. yeah, I'm happy about it. Actually, thankful I'm here. I'm not counting the seconds till I get out of here. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to hear what I'm hearing. That's delicious. Amen. Preach it. But let me tell you something. You cannot judge the spirituality of a person by their immediate response to it. You cannot judge the effectiveness of a church, of a place, by how excited the crowd gets. Stirring up a crowd, it's a talent, it's a gift. A lot of people have it. But it doesn't automatically mean the anointing. You can phrase things in a way, you can say things in a way, and man, people get excited. I heard a story told one time about a preacher who said, I'll, I'll bet you anything, I can go into this crowd, get these people fired up, and I won't use one scripture. And he did it to prove a point. How easily we are emotionally stirred. We get excited about something. But that doesn't prove anything. It's a good thing to be excited. It's a good thing. Believe me, I'm not trying to get you to be quiet. If you guys were any more quiet, I'd come check your pulse. But listen, I'm, I want you, I want you responding to it. You need to be responding to it, but that's not the end of it. That's not the end of it. Jesus said this person received it with joy, but the problem was they had no, who remembers, root. No root. And because there was no root, it's like that, that hard layer of stone beneath the surface of the ground wouldn't let a root grow, wouldn't let a root develop or penetrate. And because there was no root, he said, they endured only for a while. And when tribulation and persecution arose for the word's sake. See, Satan came in the ground before that to steal the word. He's doing the same thing here persecution comes, if he can't just come and steal it because it's just lying out there on the ground, if he can't just come take it from you, if, if there was at least some reception, he's going to have to up his game. He's going to have to take the next step in his attempt to steal the word out of your life. And you know what it is? Tribulation and persecution. And when those things, Jesus said, when they arise for the word's sake, immediately they were offended. Isn't that interesting? That as quick as they were to shout amen, that's delicious, that's as quick as they were to be offended. Why? No root. No root. This is an awesome study, and if we had time, we'd do it. But the book of Ephesians makes very clear what you and I are to be rooted and grounded in. Do you know what it is? The love of God. Rooted and grounded in His love, how much He loves us. But where there is no root, 
If you're not rooted in my father loves me, then as soon as tribulation and as soon as persecution shows up, immediately you begin to question it. Listen to it from the, um, the Amplified Bible, the classic edition. Let me read this to you. You okay? You doing all right? Yeah. This is uh, Matthew 13, verse 21 from the Amplified the classic Bible here. It says, Yet he has no real root in him, but is temporary, inconstant, lasts but for a little while. And when affliction or trouble or persecution comes on account of the word, at once he is caused to stumble. He is repelled and begins to distrust and desert him whom he ought to trust and obey, and he falls away. All of that is what it means to be offended. Now, New King James says immediately he stumbles. It's an interesting, interesting couple of ways to, to translate the same word. The same word translated offended is translated stumble. Like you tripped on something. You fell on something. Have you ever heard of two people who had a, a falling away or a falling out, we would say? Two people who got along, married or friends or whatever, but something happened and it got between them and they had a falling out. That's what that word comes from. Something got in the way, they tripped on it, they fell on it, and there was a falling away. The word offense, it literally means that, to trip, to fall. Um, in application, it means it's whatever causes you to be angry, whatever causes you to be upset, whatever causes you to disapprove of somebody else, whatever causes you to start distrusting somebody you were formerly trusting. Whatever causes you to lose faith in somebody that you used to have faith in. When you look it up, you li it literally means to disconnect. And that goes back to that falling away. People who were connected, people who were one, but offense got in and they fell away. They fell out and there was a disconnect. They were separated. Separated. And this is serious stuff. This is such serious stuff, and I think our understanding in the church of it has, has been so small. I think offense to us has, mean, has meant, you know, hurt feelings. And that's a part of it, but it has more to do with what you do with the hurt feelings. That's good. It has more to do with how you respond to someone who hurts your feelings. Because you can have hurt feelings and not be offended. If you'll decide, I'm not disconnecting. Wow. Yeah. I'm not unhooking. I'm not distancing myself. But that's what persecution is all about. Now, there are places in the, other places in the world that experience persecution, and Christians experience it, and what that word persecution literally means is pressure. You look it up and it literally means pressure that drives away. Can you see that that's where offense comes from? It's pressure. It's something that got between you and drove you away, drove you apart from each other. That's what persecution means. And there are people in places around the world that experience that. They experience it literally and physically. There are people whose lives are in danger for one reason. They're believers and they love Jesus. Yeah. We don't see that as much here in the United States, but the same word and the same principle applies. 
it's still pressure. Whatever is pressure on you that is being applied in an effort to push you away from the word is persecution. Whatever is pressure. We don't think about it in these terms, but do you realize that financial pressure in a marriage is persecution? It's the same spirit that's driving somebody across the world to physically hurt or harm a Christian. It's the same spirit that's trying to show up in a Christian home between a husband and a wife to drive them away. It's pressure. It's persecution. See, we've got to be quicker to recognize these things. And Jesus is helping us. He's saying, hey, this is Satan's whole game here. This is his whole plan of attack. And if you know it, you can be on your guard against it. But he says this pressure sets in in an effort to drive you away. Now, so much of the time we think about offense as being between two people, two individuals. But what Jesus is talking about is getting offended at the word. Getting offended at the word. Disconnecting from the word. There's a great translation of this, the complete Jewish Bible. Let me read it to you. He said in verse 20, the seed sown on rocky ground is like a person who hears the message. Everybody say the message. And accepts it with joy at once. But he has no root in himself. So he stays on for a while, but as soon as some trouble or persecution arises on account of the message, he immediately falls away. So why did the pressure come? Because of the message. Because of the word. Here's what we've got to be quick to realize. When the Spirit of God leads us the way He is right now and talks to us about living in a home that's undivided, and we see from the word the promise that we can have that and, and experience that, you better, you better be awake and on your guard because you know out of Jesus' own mouth, Satan is already on his way to put pressure on that word. Right. He's already on his way to put pressure on you so that you disconnect from that word, so that you disconnect from that message. It happens every time. When the Lord began dealing with us several weeks ago about stepping into this series about a house undivided and being at peace and in unity with each other, we got together as a staff on a Tuesday morning upstairs before work started, and I just let our staff know, hey, you can count on it. It's coming. There's an attack coming. So wake up and be on your guard. It's not something to be afraid of. It's just something to be aware of. Because it's coming. How do I know that? Because Satan comes to steal the word. Why? Because he knows what's in that seed. He knows what that seed is capable of doing if and when it falls on good ground. He knows all the life that is in that seed. He knows there's salvation in that seed. He knows that there's healing in that seed. He knows that there's peace in your family in that seed. He's no, he knows that there's restoration in that seed. And if he can come and apply a little bit of pressure. Yeah, I know you were shouting about it on Sunday morning. Yeah, I know you said good word. I know you said preach it preacher. I know you said that's delicious. But what about Monday? What about Tuesday when the pressure is on the word? He applies pressure and the motivation is 
to get you thinking it doesn't work. And the trick, the trick of the enemy is to get you and I to believe that all that pressure will go away if we just distance ourselves from that. Are we seeing this in our culture right now? There, there is a huge section of our culture whose entire mode of operation is to pressure people. Pressure people in leadership. A leadership of anything. Government, business, church. To pressure them. To pressure them into saying what they want said. To pressure them into thinking what they want people to think. To pressure them into distancing themselves from certain people. If, you just, if you're willing to just put a bit of distance between you and these over here, then we can make all this pressure go away. You know what's really rare in the world today? People who stick with people. Loyalty is rare. Longevity is ultra rare. Somebody who will just stick with somebody. But the pressure comes to put distance between you and them. I got about six pages of notes and we're in the first paragraph here. <laughs> I, I know that this is going to take us another week or so to get into all of it. But this is something you and I need to be watchful over. Because this is Satan's game. And the word cannot work in an offended heart. And people think they're offended with another person or with each other or with their preacher or their pastor. And they live with this assumption, I'm all good with God. It's these people I have a problem with. But that's a trick. So much of the time, you want to know the one you're really offended at? is God. The one you're really offended with is the Word. And it can't work and it won't work in an offended heart. In John chapter 6, look at this with me. You look for John 6. Let me tell you something Jesus said in another place in John 15. It would be so easy to think, you know, not me, right? I'm, I'm unoffendable, and that's a great way to be. But don't, don't be lulled into sleep into thinking that it can't come that Satan would never attack you with this. Peter said that. Jesus said to every one of the disciples, this night, every one of you will be offended with me. He said, every one of you will be made to stumble. And Peter, God bless him, he spoke up. He said, uh-uh, no, not me. If all these other dudes were offended with you, if all these others scattered, that's what he said, they'll strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. What is that? Distance. Spread out, disconnected. And Peter's like, nope, 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 nope. You got it wrong, Jesus. Not me. He said, I will never be offended with you. And he said, I will die with you. And Jesus said, really? Because like in three hours, you are going to deny me three times. And Peter's like, nope, 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 nope. Not me. Nope, I'm Peter. Unoffendable. And what happened? You know what happened, right? They come, they, they arrest Jesus. They take him. Peter follows, the Bible says, at a distance. At a distance. 
little space between us. I get up there with him, I might get arrested. It's pressure. And he shows up and he's watching everything happen from a distance. And this, this girl says, hey, you're with him. And what's he say? I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. Why? Pressure. Because if I identify with him, I might end up in chains. And I know he doesn't want that. So what I'll do is just deny. And she's, they, they're like, no, 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 no. I, I know. I saw you. I heard you. You were with them. And he gets a little more vocal. The Bible says he said with an oath, he swore. I don't know him. What's he doing? Putting distance, distancing himself from Jesus. This is offense. And they said to him one more time, I know that you are with him. And the Bible says he cussed at him. He said, I don't know the man. And the rooster crowed, the cock crowed. He put this distance between him and Jesus. Who, this is somebody who just a few hours before that was like, nope, not me. I'll die with you. I'll die for you. What I'm telling you is this is something to be on your guard for. No place for offense. And in John chapter 15, what did I tell you to look? John 6. Um, in John 15 and 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he said to them, I want you to abide in me. Abide in me. Abide in my word. Abide, he said, in my love. That word just simply means, we, we might say remain. We might say stay. You, you might say stick. Stay connected. Don't disconnect. And the example he used there in John 15 was a branch and a vine. And he said that branch can't bear fruit unless it stays connected to the vine. Because all that life's coming out of the vine. And that's what Jesus is saying. You can't bear any fruit unless you stay connected to me. Stick with me. And what he said to his disciples there was, you stick with me, I'll stick with you. You stick with my word, my word will stick with you. You stick with my love, my love sticks with you. And then he went from that into telling his disciples, now you love each other. So what's he saying? Stick with me, I'll stick with you. You stick with each other, I'll stick with all y'all and we'll bear some fruit. And he goes right from that into this statement right here. He said, the world will hate you. The world will persecute you. He said, they persecuted me. They'll persecute you. What's he saying? They put pressure on me. They're going to put pressure on you. And he gets to chapter 16 and verse one. He says, I'm telling you this so that you're not offended. So that you don't disconnect. See, the pressure's coming, ladies and gentlemen. The pressure's on. And it's increasing. And it's trying to get you to disconnect with him, disconnect from his word, disconnect from his love, and disconnect from each other. He said, the pressure's coming. And I'm telling you this so that you won't be offended, so that you won't disconnect. One translation says, so that you won't be surprised. So that you won't stumble. You've been walking through a room and you're like walking at full pace. Maybe it's dark in there, but it's a room you're familiar with and you are just full on walking, full stride. And the corner of your baby pinky toe catches that whatever, that chair, that ottoman, that giant piece of wood that somebody left in the middle of the floor. And man, there comes a shriek out of your belly, right? No, me. I'm the only one that's ever stubbed my toe. 
Come on, children's workers. I know you have. What happens? You stumble over that. It caught you off guard. It surprised you. That's the picture that this word offense paints of stumbling over something that you didn't know was there. And Jesus is saying, it's not an excuse anymore. I'm telling you it's there. I'm telling you it's there. So look for it, watch for it, and don't get tripped up. Don't disconnect. Not from me, not from my word, not from my love, and not from each other. No offense. Somebody say, no offense. No offense. Say it again, no offense. No offense. Now say this, none taken. none taken. No offense, none taken. We don't want, there's no place for offense. There's no place for disconnecting and separating in this house. Sorry, I know I'm giving you a lot of scripture today. You okay with it? This is almost it. John 6. This is an awesome chapter. This is where Jesus fed the 5,000 miraculously. The Bible says here in this chapter that these people, this huge crowd of people that was following him, he knew that they were coming to make him king. I mean, he's growing in popularity. These people love him. They love what he's doing for them. I mean, hey, we all just got a free meal. And they come tracking him down when he disappeared the next day. And they said, where'd you go? And he said, you're not looking for me. You're looking for another free meal. And he called them on it. And he began to preach to them because they said, yeah, do that thing again. Make the bread come down like Moses did. And he said, that's not the bread from heaven. I'm the bread of heaven. And he began to preach to them this message that you could call eat my flesh and drink my blood. And you and I have the luxury of 2,000 years of experience and looking back on it going, okay, I know what he was talking about. The Lord's Supper, right? Where we sit at the table and we receive communion and the bread signifies his body and the cup signifies his blood. Jesus made no effort to explain any of that to people. He just said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you don't have life in you. And these people freaked out. They said to him and to each other, this is a hard saying. Listen to it. Verse 60. Many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? They heard the word, but they didn't understand it. It sounded weird to them. It sounded foreign to them. It wasn't comfortable to them. It wasn't like anything they'd heard before. They, uh, they didn't understand it. And when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, don't be offended. Let me explain it to you. You misunderstood. No. What does he say? Does this offend you? Are you going to unhook from me? Are you going to disconnect with me because you don't get it? Does this offend you? He said in verse 63, it's the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words, somebody say the words, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. But it says in verse 66 that from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more over one message. These are people, thousands of people who just less than 24 hours before were tracking him down in the desert, receiving from his miraculous power, looking for him, seeking him out. But they heard one word that they didn't get. They heard one word that didn't make sense to them mentally. 
and it offended them. How do I know it offended them? Because they went back and they walked with him no more. Offense. Any move you ever make offended is never a move forward. It's always a move back. Any move. Anything you do out of offense, anything you do, you make a move just because your feelings got hurt. You make a move because something got said and you didn't understand it. You make a move because somebody in leadership had the audacity to correct you. And you disconnect because of that. It's always, listen to me, church, always a move back. It's never a move forward. These people, because of offense, went back. They went backwards and walked with him no more. Now, our entire staff's in here today, many of whom have been with us for years, some not as long, but every one of them can tell you, if you did a personal interview with every one of them and you said, have you ever been corrected? Every one of them would probably smile and say, oh yeah, yeah, definitely. But I'm so thankful that when they heard that, that they didn't disconnect because of it. Because to disconnect and make a move out of offense or hurt feelings is always a move back, never forward. And these people walked away. And this is one of those things that makes Jesus who he is. The strength of his character, he does not chase after them. He doesn't go track them down, try to help them make sense out of what he said. He doesn't track them down, try to explain the whole thing to them. No, you misunderstood me. None of that. You know what he did instead? He turned around and looked at the 12, verse 67, and said, you also want to go away? You leaving too? Man, the boldness, the confidence. I love it. You leaving too? What's he saying? I don't care if everybody leaves me. I don't care. But Peter... Thank God for this guy. Some days he got it right, wrong, some days he got it right, but this is one of those good days. Simon Peter answered him in 68 and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Amen. Jesus said to Peter and the boys, y'all want to go too? You leaving too? And Peter, I guarantee you, he did not understand eat my flesh and drink my blood any more than anybody else out there that day. But he knew this. Where am I going to go? You got to ask yourself when you make a move out of offense, what am I going back to? What am I going back to? If I'm leaving this, if the Lord brought me here, but because of something I don't like or something I don't understand... I'm unhooking. Before you do, say, okay, what am I going back to? What am I going back to? And that's what Peter asked. I don't get it any more than them, but where are we going to go? What am I going to go back to? After what I've seen, after what I've experienced, after time with you, what am I going to go back? Fishing? I'm going to go back to the boat. Really? <laughs> what am I going back to? And this is what he said. You have the words of eternal life. He knew enough to recognize, I don't understand the word, but I know there's life in it. I may not fully get it, but I know there's life in it. And I'm not unhooking and I'm not separating 
from these words. See, pressure comes to separate you from the word. I think what we'll get into next week is the way it manifests in an, in, in an effort to separate us from one another. But what we'll see in Scripture, let me just give you a little preview. What Paul said in Romans 8, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor things present nor things to come, none of these things will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Nothing can separate us. That's God's commitment to you. Would you make the same to Him? Would you make the same to the people in your home? To the family that God's put you in? I'm not letting anything get between us. Come on up. I'm not letting anything separate us. That word separation in Romans 8, when you look it up, you know what it means? Divorce. I'm not letting anything get between us. I'm not letting anything divorce us. It also means to put space between. I'm not letting anything create space between me and you. Not between me and him. Not between me and his word. Not between me and his love. And not between me and you. Amen? Amen. Say it again. No offense. No offense. What else? None taken. None taken. Stand up. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.